360 degrees. Hop high, 360 degrees. Hop high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. Hop high. Right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And tonight we bring you another two-part show. On tonight's show, we'll get a history lesson brought to you by graduate apprentice Theodora Adkins and her second installment of Bring It Forward, this episode focusing on Marcus Garvey. We'll also take it back to Antioch, California, where East Contra Costa County black clergy, political leaders, and a multicultural coalition of citizens have united against hate speech coming from local blog EastCountyToday.net. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch, Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I am your host tonight. And before we jump into the show tonight, I want to give a shout out of solidarity to all our Asian and API sisters and brothers out there. Full Circle and the First Voice Apprenticeship Program are and always have been multicultural communities. This epidemic of hate and violence against our Asian and API brothers and sisters has to end. And I'm sure I speak for all First Voice apprentices and graduates when I say that we stand in solidarity with you, our brothers and sisters. Also, on a programming note, if you missed last night's Apex Express, where they talked about the tragedy in Atlanta, be sure to hit the KPFA archives and check it out. That 7 p.m. last night. Also, I think I went through last week's show without thanking you, our listeners, for making our fun drive a success. Of course, we always appreciate the support here on Full Circle, and we thank you very much. Now, on with the show tonight. A couple of weeks ago, during Black History Month, you heard from graduate apprentice Theodora Adkins as she presented her production of Bring It Forward. Well, tonight she returns with another episode, this time focusing on Marcus Garvey. Check it out. We go in Ultra Black, I got a toast to that. We don't fold the, we go in, occasion we rose to that, going postal. We go in Ultra Black, watching the global change, hopping the coldest range, hip boy on the beat, bitch, post the slap. We go in Ultra Black, we go in, we go in. Hello, this is Theodora presenting Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. You've been listening to Ultra Black by Nas featuring Hit Boy. 
I invite you to come with me today for a brief glimpse into the revolutionary vision and prophetic voice of Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association, known as the UNIA. Marcus Garvey and his UNIA is credited as being the biggest black nationalist movement in the United States. Fasten your seatbelts, y'all, because we going unapologetically ultra-black today. Before we launch into Marcus Garvey and the UNIA, let's get some clarity about what black nationalism is. Here's Malcolm X in 1964 describing black nationalism to a newscaster. Black nationalism, which means that the black man should control the politics of his own community and control the politicians who are in his own community. My personal economic philosophy is uh, also black nationalism, which means that the black man should have a hand in controlling the economy of the so-called Negro community. He should be developing the type of knowledge that will enable him to own and operate the businesses and thereby be able to create employment for his own people, for his own kind. And the uh, social philosophy also is black nationalism, which means that instead of the black man trying to force himself into the society of the white man, we should be trying to eliminate from our own society the ills and the, the defects and make ourselves uh, likable and sociable among our, among our own kind. I'm the poorest man in New York City. Well, I mean for this mosque you're going to build and for your movement. From poor people, poor people. We are going to solicit the support of all of our people. We're going to solicit the support, the support of everyone. It's just like establishing a church. You establish a church from the con uh, contributions of the people who are interested in seeing that particular religious philosophy spread. And we will get support not only from people who are interested in our religious philosophy, we'll get support from those who are interested in our political, economic, and social philosophy, which is black nationalism. This is Theodora presenting Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. You just heard Malcolm X talking about black nationalism. Let's listen to Harvard historian Henry Louis Gates' two-minute black history lesson on Marcus Garvey. Over 100 years ago, the black nationalist movement in America reached an unprecedented level of popularity because of the efforts of the charismatic leader of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, Marcus Garvey. Born in Jamaica, Garvey grew up in poverty. He came to understand race relations through the lens of British colonialism throughout the Caribbean and Latin America. As his thinking matured, he began to formulate a revolutionary social movement. In 1914, he founded the Universal Negro Improvement Association, dedicated to uniting all the black people throughout the world. Two years later, he immigrated to the United States, where his powerful message quickly gained traction. We want to unite the Negro race in this country. We want every Negro to work for one common object, that of building a nation of his own on the great continent of Africa, for the purpose of bettering our industrial, commercial, educational, social, and political conditions. He arrives in an era where blacks are still being lynched regularly in the South. Around the same time that movies like Birth of a Nation are showing extraordinarily racist depictions of African-Americans as monsters. 
you have this really charismatic and dynamic individual, and he's talking about, look, our place is never gonna be here in the United States. It's never gonna be in Europe. It's gonna be in Africa. We need to reclaim Africa. So Garvey is going to be preaching a philosophy of black pride. He's gonna come up with a scheme to repatriate to Africa, and he provides a huge sense of hope for millions of African-Americans. A centerpiece of Garvey's program was the creation of the Black Star Line, a steamship line launched to transport African-Americans who wished to emigrate to Africa. The Black Star Line is this idea that Garvey can buy ships through the support of local African-American people, sending in money so you can have a share in the Black Star Line. And these ships were gonna take thousands of people back to Africa to the colony that Garvey was gonna establish. But his advocacy for black Americans to move back to Africa drew the attention of the United States government, and especially J. Edgar Hoover's Federal Bureau of Investigation, which monitored Garvey's movement, seeking grounds for his arrest and deportation. Garvey was growing too powerful. J. Edgar Hoover is gonna hire their first Negro agents to uh, subvert Marcus Garvey. And eventually, they're gonna say that he's been committing mail fraud with the Black Star Line scheme. He's eventually tried, arrested, placed in jail in 1925. He's deported in 1927, and he's never allowed to return to the United States. He dies in London in 1940. Garvey's legacy as the father of the modern Back to Africa movement cannot be underestimated. He created the largest popular political movement in the history of black America and would be an inspiration both to the anti-colonial movement and black nationalist leaders throughout the remainder of the century. That was Henry Louis Gates speaking about Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey, described as a stocky, dark-skinned black man, was born and raised in Jamaica. After traveling throughout the diaspora, he noticed all African people were living in the same oppressive conditions. In 1916, he came to America to raise funds to build a school in Jamaica similar to Booker T. Washington's Tuskegee Institute. He never intended to stay here. Yet, during his time in this country, he was able to build the UNIA, which is the largest black nationalist movement the United States had ever seen. Here's a rare 1921 recording of Marcus Garvey speaking about the purpose of the UNIA. Fellow citizens of Africa, I greet you in the name of the Universal Negro Movement Association and African Communities League of the World. You may ask, what organization is that? It is for me to inform you that the Universal Negro Improvement Association is an organization that seeks to unite into one solid body the 400 million Negroes of the world, to link up the 15 million Negroes of the United States of America with the 20 million Negroes of the West Indies, the 40 million Negroes of South and Central America with the 280 million Negroes of Africa for the purpose of bettering our industrial, commercial, educational, social and political conditions. As you are aware, the world in which we live today is divided into separate race groups and distinct nationalities. Each race and each nationality is endeavoring to work out its own destiny to the exclusion of other races and other nationalities. 
We hear the cry of England for the Englishman, of France for the Frenchman, of Germany for the German, of Ireland for the Irish, of Palestine for the Jew, of Japan for the Japanese, of China for the Chinese. We of the Universal Negro Movement Association are raising the cry of Africa for the Africans, those at home and those abroad. There are 400 million Africans in the world who have Negro blood coursing through their veins. And we believe that the time has come to unite these 400 million people for the one common purpose of bettering their conditions. The great problem of the Negro for the last 500 years has been that of disunity. No one or no organization ever succeeded in uniting the Negro race. But within the last four years, the Universal Negro Improvement Association has worked wonders in bringing together in one fold four million organized Negroes who are scattered in all parts of the world, being in the 48 states of the American Union, all the West Indian Islands, and the countries of South and Central America and Africa. These four million people are working to convert the rest of the 400 million scattered all over the world. And it is for this purpose that we are asking you to join our ranks and to do the best you can to help us to bring about an emancipated race. If anything praiseworthy is to be done, it must be done through unity. And it is for that reason that the Universal Negro Movement Association calls upon every Negro in the United States to rally to its standards. We want to unite the Negro race in this country. We want every Negro to work for one common object that of building a nation of his own on the great continent of Africa. That all Negroes all over the world are working for the establishment of a government in Africa means that it will be realized in another few years. We want the moral and financial support of every Negro to make the dream a possibility. Already, this organization has established itself in Liberia, West Africa, and is endeavoring to do all possible to develop that Negro country to become a great industrial and commercial commonwealth. Pioneers have been sent by this organization to Liberia, and they are now laying the foundations upon which the 400 million Negroes of the world will build. If you believe that the Negro has a soul, if you believe that the Negro is a man, if you believe the Negro was endowed with the senses commonly given to other men by the Creator, then you must acknowledge that what other men have done, Negroes can do. We want to build up cities, nations, governments, industries of our own in Africa, so that we'll be able to have a chance to rise from the lowest to the highest positions in the African Commonwealth. Marcus Garvey's UNIA and his African Communities League was headquartered in the heart of Harlem from 1918 to 1927. The motto of the organization was and still is, One God, One Aim, One Destiny. Marcus Garvey purchased Liberty Hall in 1919, where UNIA meetings were held weekly. Those meetings were very similar to church services. He purchased other buildings, factories, a hotel, grocery stores, restaurants, a printing plant, and more. He employed over 200 Negroes. The UNIA hosted elaborate parades and held huge conventions. Garvey established the Black Star Line by selling $500,000 of common stock for $5 a share. The stock sold very quickly. The Black Star Line purchased steamships to transport formerly enslaved Africans back to Africa. And because of the terrorism and oppression they faced in America, many Negroes were eager to sign up. 
the black nationalist seed Garvey planted in the late 19th century took root and thrived during the Harlem Renaissance. As the old saying goes, timing is everything. And the Harlem Renaissance, also known as the New Negro Movement, was ripe for Garvey's message. His call to black nationalism and a return to Africa resonated with many Negroes of the era. Here's Dr. John Enrique Clark, Pan-Africanist, historian, professor, and author, speaking about the legacy of Marcus Garvey. We belong to the same African family, no matter what island you came from, what part of Georgia you came from, or what part of Africa you came from. And that is the essential message that Marcus Garvey was trying to get across to you, one God, one aim, one destination. And when you can't understand that, you betray Marcus Garvey. He called for the unity and the redemption of the African world. We were not ready to listen then. There's wonder whether we are ready to listen now. He was not only ahead of his time, he was ahead of this time. Here in the United States, what is happening? The Jim Crow laws, vast race riots all over the world, we were catching hell. The scene was being prepared for Marcus Garvey 100 years before his emergence in the United States. Now Marcus Garvey's message is getting across. He goes to Chicago and tells blacks, they don't want you here. Not only let's get out of here and go back to Africa, our home, let's get our own boats and sail back on our own steam. We listen to anything now. Can you understand why we would listen? We are ready for anything. By virtue of what we have to deal with, Marcus Garvey said, come on, let's, let's, let's get our ships and get the hell out of here. We said, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> let's go. Now you can see why the largest organization ever built is built by Marcus Garvey, mainly the black American following and black American money. Marcus Garvey amassed such a huge following that it threatened other black leaders of the era, as well as posing a threat to the United States government. Let's listen to the words of activist Roy Wilkins, performed by Hugo Anamalechi, in the 2016 documentary film In the Hour of Chaos, describing the rift between Garvey, W.E.B. Du Bois, and other leaders of the era. Marcus Garvey's success alarmed black leaders as well as white prosecutors. He stirred feelings like a black Moses and raised money like a black Croesus. The problem was he made enemies like a black Kaiser. In those days, I agreed with A. Philip Randolph, who gave credit to Garvey as a tremendous organizer. While attacking his autocratic ways and his talk of empire at the time when most Negroes were still struggling manfully to make democracy work, Garvey must go was a slogan that turned up regularly in the pages of The Messenger, the magazine that Randolph edited with Chan Rowan. At one point, there were rumors that Garvey had been dickering with the Ku Klux Klan. Randolph jumped all over him and the UNIA. 
in the crisis, I watched W.E.B. Du Bois try to come to terms with Garvey. But then Garvey denounced him as purely and simply a white man's nigger. In a few years, Du Bois was calling Garvey the most dangerous enemy of the Negro race in America. Even so, Marcus Garvey commanded an awesome power to raise broken spirits and to reach that nine-tenths of the black population, the boys' talented tenth left out. Welcome back to Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. I'm Theodora. We just heard about the division that took place during the 1920s Harlem Renaissance between Marcus Garvey and W.E.B. Du Bois and others. Marcus Garvey had, and continues to have, a tremendous impact on many African people throughout the world, from Bob Marley, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., John Henri Clark, Nelson Mandela, just to name a few. Here's Bob Marley talking about Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey is a prophet, man. Marcus Garvey tells us we must look to the east for the king. I a lot of things Marcus Garvey said, and later it come to pass. Some still live, and everyone see it. I mean, get more, more stronger, you know, in reality. As everything when I say them time happened today, and everyone see it happening. Well played. Let's listen to Malcolm X speaking about Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey was the first black man to come into this country and get a mass movement, a, an allegiance, support of the masses of black people. Why? Because Garvey didn't care what the white man thought. Garvey didn't care how the white man felt. Garvey had the feelings of the black man at heart. Garvey had the hopes and aspirations of the black man at heart. And the black masses detected this. They felt this. They were conscious of this. So they gave Garvey uh, uh, their support. And anyone today who can get a following among the masses of black people in this country is immediately labeled by the United States government as un-American, as seditious, as subversive, as Marcus Garvey was labeled un-American, as seditious and subversive. Any black man who has the true intention of solving the problem of the masses of black people in this country, the government itself, will try and trick that man and trap that man and frame that man. And usually he'll do it by these Uncle Tom Negro leaders whom the government has set up. The Negro intellectual was against Garvey. The Negro professional was against Garvey. Let's listen to Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Marcus Garvey talk about the roadmap to economic empowerment for African people. American Negro collectively is richer. And most nations of the world, we have an annual income of more than $30 billion a year, which is more than all of the exports of the United States and more than the national budget of Canada. Did you know that? That's power right there if we know how to prove it. We should own and operate and control the economy of our community. We have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer. The community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes who have been misled, misguided, 
are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man. The man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com to complain about poor housing in a run-down community. Why, you run it down yourself when you take your dollar. We've got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in Tri-State Bank. We are telling you to follow what we are doing. Put your money there. You have six or seven black insurance companies here. Take out your insurance there. Now, these are some practical things that we can do. We begin the process of building a great economic base. We've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. We've got to see it through. So our people not only have to be uh, re-educated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself has to be uh, made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least the businesses in our community, what we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the people in the community. The black man must unite in one grand racial hierarchy, making a racial empire upon which the sun shall never set. Be black, my black, his black, and all else will take care of itself. In 1923, Marcus Garvey was accused and convicted of mail fraud for advertising ships he didn't yet own as part of his Black Starline fleet. He was sentenced to five years in prison. President Calvin Coolidge commuted Garvey's sentence in 1927, and he was deported back to Jamaica. In 1935, Marcus Garvey moved from Jamaica to London, where he died in 1940. He never set foot in Africa. In June of 2016, the son of Marcus Garvey, 86-year-old Dr. Julius Garvey, a vascular surgeon and medical professor, petitioned President Barack Obama to grant a pardon for his father. Thousands signed the petition, and the tremendous worldwide support for the pardon was overwhelming. In 2015, during a trip to Jamaica, President Obama was asked by Jamaican Prime Minister Portia Simpson Miller to offer an official pardon of Garvey. Let's listen to an interview with Dr. Julius Garvey about the petition. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. Today, we look at another request for a presidential pardon, this one from the family of Marcus Garvey, a pioneering figure in the black freedom struggle in the early 20th century, who inspired generations of civil rights activists around the world. In the 1920s, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover targeted Garvey for his political activity as a leader of the Pan-African movement. Garvey was convicted in 1923 on a charge of mail fraud and sentenced to five years in jail. His charges and conviction ev effectively ended Garvey's political movement and eventually led to his deportation back to Jamaica. This is Marcus Garvey's son, Dr. Julius Garvey, of the Justice for Garvey movement, speaking in August. The civil rights movement started with Marcus Garvey. That's acknowledged by Brother Malcolm. It's acknowledged by Martin Luther King. And it's acknowledged by anybody who knows history. 
the president stands on that foundation. So we think that the time is now to exonerate Marcus Garvey by a presidential posthumous pardon. And that's why we're here. Thank you. Dr. Julius Garvey is a cardiothoracic and vascular surgeon who's leading the Justice for Garvey effort, seeing a posthumous presidential pardon for his father, the civil rights leader Marcus Garvey. So, Julius Garvey, can you tell us uh, what happened to him and what you're calling for now, and whether you think there's any prospect that Obama will grant uh, a posthumous pardon? Yes. Well, basically, he was uh, targeted by J. Edgar Hoover of the uh, FBI as early as uh, 1919. He called him a, a Negro agitator up in Harlem who was agitating for uh, um, uh, radical measures of uh, uplifting uh, African people. So he infiltrated um, my father's organization. The, the first um, uh, uh, FBI, black FBI agent um, was hired at that point in time to infiltrate the organization, and there were many others. Um, so um, Hoover and the Justice Department were, were looking for some means to, to criminalize Marcus Garvey so that he could be deported because he was an, an immigrant. He, he had filed his first papers, but they were um, keeping him from becoming a full citizen. Every time he left the country and so on, they were granting visas to come back in, etc., etc. Um, he, he, he had an attempt on his life um, by someone who, who came into the, the Liberty Hall, um, shot three shots at him, uh, two sort of hit him, grazed him, um, one in his leg. Um, that person ended up, quotes, committing suicide within 24 hours after he was arrested in prison. So, you know, he said he wasn't going to take the rap for himself. So there was a concerted effort, you know, by whomever. But we do know also of J. Edgar Hoover. And um, they were trying everything. Um, the Mann Act, of course, you know, transporting a woman across the state line. The woman was my mother, his wife. Of course, she wasn't my, my mother yet at that point in time, but she was his wife. Um, they were looking at him for tax evasion, you know, and they were looking at him, well, about the Black Star Line, which was his uh, uh, signature uh, e economic project to trade with, between Africa, the Caribbean, and the mm -hmm. United States. So, again, you know, the, 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 the whole idea was a political uh, trial to destroy him and hence destroy the movement. Have you heard from the White House? No, we have not heard back anything from the White House. I hope you've enjoyed the Sankofa moment, remembering Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. By the way, Sankofa is an African word from the Akan tribe in Ghana that prompts us to examine our history, fetch the wisdom from the past, bring that knowledge forward into the present, and use the lessons learned to propel us to a brighter future. This is Theodora, encouraging you to find your right mind preserve your sanity, and always protect your humanity. Be safe out there.
All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, and you just heard Bring It Forward, the latest production focusing on Marcus Garvey. Bring It Forward is produced by graduate apprentice Theodora Adkins. And Theodora, we thank you very much. And like always, we look forward to hearing more from you. And to continue with the show tonight, we'll see that the hate and violence and the unwelcomeness shown to African-Americans such as Marcus Garvey spoke of actually still continues. We're going to turn back to Antioch, California, over here in East Contra Costa County. Earlier this week, black faith leaders, business owners, politicians, and a multicultural coalition of Antioch residents came out together to denounce hate speech. This hate speech, they say, is coming in the form of an online blog called EastCountyToday.net. East County Today has frequently targeted black elected officials in Antioch with dog whistle headlines and unflattering images and unmediated comments that are not only vile and disgusting, they are full of racism and a disregard for our greater community and our elected officials, both of which are very multicultural communities out here. Here are some excerpts from the press conference that was held outside Antioch City Hall earlier this week. We thank you all for coming out this beautiful uh, morning. We are all gathered here this morning uh, in communal solidarity to call out hate. My name is Dr. Lamont Francis. I'm the uh, vice president of the East County North Star, which is a new online black newspaper. Also the pastor of Delta Bay Church of Christ here in the city of Antioch. We're here to call out hate local blogger Mike Burkholter and his media outlet, the East County Today. On January 30th, 2021, uh, local pastors and the East County North Star wrote an open letter to Mr. Burkholter to address the racist undertones of his headlines, his pictures, and his articles. In the letter, we state that the East County Today uh, blog has repeatedly provided a platform for racists to spew their animosity for African-Americans under the cover of anonymity. As of today, March 16th, 2021, we have not received a response or public acknowledgement or an apology of wrongdoing. Instead of contacting us, or the local East County NAACP. He has chosen to contact select black people, hoping that his individual relationships would cover up an institutional reality. Well, Mr. Burkholder, it did not work. Mr. Burkholder, you attacked allies of racial progress. You select stories that generate hatred among your most loyal readers. Your blog, is no longer a dog whistle, but it has become a direct whistle, a direct whistle for local bigots to propagate unregulated racist rhetoric and to conduct online lynchings. The East County today has become a breeding ground for right-wing extremists, white supremacists, who swear by ethnocentric ideologies 
masked by American patriotism. Your blog, Mr. Burkholder, is a threat. It is a threat to public decency and decorum. And your words on that site have been weaponized to keep blacks as perpetual guests in East County. Well, this morning, to echo the words of Queen Mother Fannie Lou Hamer, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Enough is enough. Mr. Burkholder, for your information, there are over 47,000 African-Americans living in East County alone. We represent 16% of the population out here. And this morning, we are here to set the record straight. Contrary to the statements and the comments that are viewed daily on your blog, we are not hoochies. We are not hood rats. We are not criminals. We are not crooks. We are not thugs. We are not thoughts. We are not savages. We are not slaves. We are not gangsters. We are not ghetto. Matter of fact, if you look up here, you will see the descendants of the motherland. We descend from greatness. And because, because we know our identity, we refuse to live below our dignity. So Mr. Burkholder, your blog this morning has incited hatred and hostility. You have sought to dehumanize Mayor Thorpe, Vice Mayor Wilson, Councilwoman Tamisha Walker, even former school board members Crystal Sawyer White, Deborah Vincent, and the list goes on and on and on. We have been told to go back to Richmond, Oakland, and Vallejo. We have been called everything on your blog from chitlin breath to watermelon eating porch monkeys. And I don't see, think you see any porch monkeys up here. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this the county we want to live in? Is this the place we want to be? Is this the kind of rhetoric we want to shape the minds of our children? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we are better than this. Therefore, Mr. Burkholder, you, because you have continued to demonstrate a lack of discernment, decency, and decorum. We as the East County North Star, along with local black clergy, politicians, and community members, are calling out all East County businesses, politicians, school districts, including Antioch Unified School District, who gave that man over $70,000 of LCAP funds, our money. We're calling you out, and we're calling all racial justice-seeking people not to do business with any business that supports the East County Today blog. So just so that we are clear, if you do business with them, we will not do business with you. If you do not respect black, we will make you respect green. We will not contribute dollars to our own demise. And we would like to publicly thank and applaud the Tri-Delta Bus Company for standing up against racial bigotry, 
and choosing no longer to do business with this media outlet. We hope others will follow suit. So in closing, no black official we believe is above disapproval, but what we will not tolerate is dehumanization. So Mr. Burkholder, you have to understand that this is one narrative that you cannot control. And so for your information, we as black people, we are more than athletes and entertainers. We are engineers, educators. We are carpenters and contractors, doctors and dentists, scientists and sociologists. We are both white collar and blue collar. And we're out there every day on Highway 4 trying to make a dollar. And right now, we understand that we walk on sacred ground, the sacred ground paid for by the blood, sweat, and tears of bakers and butlers, cooks and mammies, maids, cotton pickers, and sharecroppers who are denied life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So it is today that we stand on their shoulders. And I would rather die on my legs than live on my knees. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. I shame my brothers and sisters. At this time, we're going to have Mr. Warren Lutz. He is a community activist and he's going to speak out against the racism of East County today. Uh, thank you everyone for being here today. Uh, my name is Warren Lutz. My family and I live here in Antioch. Uh, when we moved here six years ago, I found myself disappointed in the relative lack of news coverage in this area. No offense to any journalists here today. Uh, I'm a former newspaper reporter myself and I remember when a city Antioch size would be covered by a newsroom of 10 or 12 reporters. The saddest thing about this, the recent newspaper cuts, however, are the outlets filling the vacuum, like the local blog we have here, East County Today, which is run by a local man by the name of Mike Burkholder. Mr. Burkholder has no apparent journalism training or background that I'm aware of, uh, but he has single-handedly managed to build what is today the most popular source of news in East Contra Costa County on social media, where he's amassed more than 70,000 followers. I have to admit I was very impressed with this achievement at first. Over time, however, a different picture of East County Today and Mr. Burkholder began to emerge. I saw news stories and press releases that seemed chosen purely for their power to incite a response from a very particular type of person. I saw unverified, unsourced gossip, misconceptions, and lies about things allegedly happening in our community being passed off as truth. Specifically, I saw warnings and accusations made toward democratically elected black leaders and their supporters allegedly alleging they were anti-police or were engaged in some plot to defraud the community or were grandstanding for personal or political gain. And I saw grossly misleading headlines such as Antioch Mayor, we are thugs who want to defund the police and foul mouth city councilwoman blasts Antioch Police Department. I then realized what East County today really is. It's a haven for longtime residents who are upset with the area's changing demographics and a place to voice their outrage and relative anonymity. On East County Today's Facebook page, one can frequently find language such as ghetto trash, hood rats, thugs, and other dog whistles toward black residents and community leaders. However, on East County Today's website, eastcountytoday.net, no dog whistle is required. 
Here one can find hundreds of anonymous comments riddled with the N-word and every conceivable racial epithet and homophobic slur you can imagine, language that no reputable news organization would ever allow in print or online. For eight years, Mike Burkholder has been collecting these hate-filled comments on his website, and Mr. Burkholder is aware these comments exist because he has responded directly to some of them, yet has never taken them down. On eastcountyday.net, you will find crazy stuff like... The blacks came to Antioch and made Antioch ghetto. And Black Lives Matter, who would rob banks without them? For those of you with strong stomachs, we have many worse examples if you wish to see them. I realize the First Amendment protects Mr. Burkholder's right to publish whatever he wants, but I too have a First Amendment right to tell whoever cares to listen that East County today is a major source of division and racial hatred in our community. It is not reflective of our community. And if you choose to advertise on East County today, you will never have my business. Thank you. At this time, Joshua Anahar. Joshua. Sisters, brothers, siblings, hello. My name is Josh Anajar. I'm the executive director of the Contra Costa Central Labor Council. We're a federation of 85 unions representing over 85,000 workers in Contra Costa County. Look, last year, America rejected the last four years of the rhetoric that we saw for the last four years of hate divisiveness, and a way of spreading misinformation around on the internet. We rejected that. We stood as a country united against racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, you name it, as a labor movement and as a community in general. We have to tackle a lot of hard issues facing the community here in Antioch right now. We have to deal with COVID. We have to deal with the income inequality that continues to grow in society. We have to make sure that the workers are protected, whether they work at a grocery store, at this city hall, or anywhere. And instead, we have to focus on hatred and stand up to make sure that, yes, you can have disagreements. You can disagree with policy, fine, disagree with policy. But there's no room and no space for hatred and racism, either in the public discourse, right. in the media, or especially here in Contra Costa County. So the labor movement stands united against racism. We stand united against misinformation. And I love policy debates. I'm a policy nerd. I'm sure many people here, you're here. You're a policy nerd. Let's debate the policies. Let's talk about the issues. Let's reimagine public safety so that a worker is safe at his job or her job from COVID-19 as much as they're safe getting home every single day from systematic racism that would make sure that they can't get home. We want to make sure that a worker can work safely and get home safely. Let's do the hard work. Let's push our city council here in Antioch to do that work. Let's do it together. And let's make sure that this rhetoric stays in the past from the last four years of a dark plague of America. This isn't going away, but we have to call it out. We have to stand up for it. We have to stand up against it. And I'm so proud to stand with you all here today. The labor movement will continue to stand with people that stand with us and continue to call out racism in every form, whether it happens here in Contra Costa County or anywhere in this country or anywhere around the globe. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. At this time, the next speaker we will have is Mr. Uh, Dimness, Dimless uh, Johnson III. Uh, he's the president uh, of the black elected officials of East Bay at this time. Well, I think we have, I'm not sure of the man's name, I don't even want to learn his name, but I think we have him to thank. Come on. 
because we get to see real Antioch today. We get to see real community today because that garbage that he's been posting in those lies that he's been spreading is only reflective of this very defining moment that we're at in American history. Yeah. It's just being played out in our front yard and backyards today. In that election that we had in November, it wasn't the end of that defining moment. It was just the beginning. Yes, sir. We are in that defining moment. And I guess the people are asking, what's the defining moment, Dimless? We have to ask ourselves if we're going to continue to adhere to the tenets and values of white supremacy and white nationalism, yeah. or if we're actually going to be the country that we say we are on paper. A country for all, a country that represents freedom, democracy, and independence. A country where individuals are free from gossip and rumors and downright lies. You guys have a city council member from my hometown, Richmond, California. Yes, council member Walker is phenomenal. Yes, 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 the work that she did in Richmond, California only was highlighted during her campaign here in Antioch, California. The work that Mayor Thorpe and Vice Mayor Wilson is doing is going is reverberating throughout the state of California. Yes, yep. What's happening in Antioch, some people say was never supposed to happen. Yep. From the migration of people from the from the from um, from the West County to East County, to individuals um, running for office who didn't look like individuals who helped found this city. A lot of people said it wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. But God said it was going to happen. And the people of Antioch said that it was going to happen. And now what you have is this, is this anger, right? Because people are trying to hold on to this old way of being that others, that the community is saying they don't want anymore. And I think it's time that we just continue to bring together these institutions. It's so beautiful to see black institutions and allies come together and stand against that kind of hate, stand against that type of white nationalism and racism. Yes, and I think that we can continue to do this, not just here in Antioch, but throughout Contra Costa County, because we have a lot of work to do. Yes. This is the work right here, baby. This is it's not gonna be easy. You know, they've had centuries of, of ingraining white nationalism and racism into this country's veins. So it's not gonna be one election, two elections, it's gonna be generational work. Yeah. And, and, and it's good to see everybody out here in the middle of the day, strapped up, ready to fight. <laughs> because that's what this is. I'm not gonna take up too much time. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to all of you. And all I have to say is let's keep fighting. He hasn't won and this, and this just proves it. We winning. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out. And at this time, if you have any questions, we will leave room for questions from anybody who spoke at this time. Yes. I know that it's kind of terrible. Can you read some of the quotes that have been on the... Uh, Not a problem. They're already public. What we see here, thank you, Brother Khan, said about our second black mayor of Antioch, who so many young black people look up to as an inspiration, it said about him on this blog, your mother should have learned to swallow. If you look up nigger, you would see your picture and that council B-I-T-C-H who think her and hers are above the law. This is who they're referring to. And they said, Mayor, 
bet you cheated to become mayor like Biden did to become president. I, I bet that's why all those ballot boxes disappeared. That's subverting the will of the people. The people chose Mayor Thorpe. Then they say about the first black councilwoman, Monica Wilson, our current vice mayor in Antioch. They say about this, well, you can take the, the given out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the given. Get her out of the service porch and put her back into the fields. Put her back into the fields? Are you serious? Then they say this about a freedom fighter. Someone who came from Richmond. Someone who overcame incarceration and who was an inspiration to all people. They say this about Councilwoman Walker. They said, um, elect ghetto and you get ghetto. What does anyone expect from garbage? Plague is plague. Let me just tell you something. Poor does not equate ghetto. Ghetto is a state of mind. These are racist caricatures. And we will not tolerate that. We will not. We have come too far. We too sing Antioch. We are here. And we're not going anywhere. And everybody needs to understand that. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. And those were excerpts from a press conference held earlier this week outside Antioch City Hall over here in East Contra Costa County. And that press conference was held by a coalition of community folks denouncing the local blogger Mike Burkhalter and his publication EastCountyToday.net. And just checking the EastCountyToday.net Facebook page, I have not seen a response to the press conference. I personally would have to agree with some of the points being made at the press conference. I have had personal experiences with EastCountyToday.net, which I am blocked from commenting on, by the way. My first experience was when I started to organize my first protest around police brutality out here in Antioch. I sent in pictures of my protest signs and my plans to see if the online blog or paper would cover my upcoming event. Needless to say, I never heard back from the man, Mike Burkhalter. Another experience I had was this past summer, we were protesting outside the Antioch Police Department. There were six young people on a hunger strike. You would think that if you are a news outlet that you may come down to interview the protesters, but no. And my most recent experience has to do with that protest. I have been blocked from commenting on EastCountyToday.net because I argued against one of his posts. East County Today claimed in a comment that our mayor, Lamar Thorpe, was responsible for getting, quote, his minions to call in and flood the city council meeting with comments. East County Today also claimed that our mayor, Lamar Thorpe, was leading and organizing the protests that were happening around the town and that we were acting under his direction. Of course, these were his opinions and not facts. When I commented to the author that his statements were not true and that I participated and helped in the organizing of people to call into city council meetings and to protest as well, and that I did this on my own and not under any direction of the mayor, I was then blocked from commenting further. And I will have to admit that I did call his comment stupid, 
But that was the extent of my colorful language. And as we can hear from that press conference, using the word stupid is mild in comparison to what he leaves on his blog. Okay, okay, enough of my rant. Lastly, I want to give a quick community announcement. Many of you may have heard that the Danville police recently shot and killed 32-year-old Tyrell Wilson, an unhoused community member on the streets of Danville. Next Sunday, not this weekend, but next Sunday, there will be a march and rally in Danville. Please check out the Facebook page Together We Stand out of Richmond, California. That's Together We Stand. Like that page and get up-to-date information on date, time, and location. Also, be sure to stay tuned to KPFA and Hard Knock Radio and Flashpoints next week for more information about this upcoming action. All right, that brings me to the end of tonight's show. And of course, remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for all the important links and information mentioned on tonight's show. You'll also find pictures and archive shows there. Shout out to our producers tonight, Theodore Adkins and myself, Frank Sterling. And one final shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And again, me, Freewell and Franklin. I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle. And I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to please be safe out there and be sure to protect your health and also your humanity. And be sure to stay tuned to KPFA because coming up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. Uh-huh.